Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Okay, Ephesians. So this today is all introduction, and there's a, there's a lot of it. So a preacher trick is to say, we'll get into that next week. And you'll hear me say that a lot today. So um, there's, just, there's a lot of information. I don't want to overwhelm. Uh, what we're going to do is just kind of skim the surface of some uh, concepts in Ephesians that we'll unpack over the next several weeks and months. As I was saying just a minute ago during that introduction, uh, there, this is Paul is really speaking to people's kind of minds and hearts here in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's, he's, he's opening up the, the, the good news. He's saying, here's... Here's the gospel. Here's the truth of what God has done for you. And then the second half of the book, chapter 4 through 6, is saying here's all the things that you now do in response to what God has done for you. So these first few chapters for us, it really is focused on what we think and what we believe and how we're perceiving who God is and what he's done for us. And so again, for some of us, that's a bit that, that ground is a little bit more uh, uncomfortable or unknown than just, hey, tell me something to do and I'll go do it. So just hang with me and we'll, we'll do the best that we can. A little background, Ephesians written by Paul, 60, 62 AD, somewhere in there, 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, probably three to five years after Paul was last in Ephesus. He spent two and a half or three years there establishing a church and then also uh, sending out, uh, establishing some churches in the surrounding area as well. So it's three and a half, three, five years after that. Uh, Ephesians is different from most of Paul's letters. Most of Paul's letters are written to one particular congregation, and he's helping them deal with some very specific problems that they're having. Ephesians is what's called a circular letter. It was meant to be read in multiple congregations. Some of those congregations Paul didn't know and the people didn't know him. It's much more general. It's not dealing necessarily with issues in Corinth. It's, it's, a, much, it's a more general letter. Uh, it, it's geared to Gentiles. These are Gentile, predominantly Gentile congregations. And again, he's helping them, uh, reminding them, here's what God has done for you. And then here's what you do in response. Chapters one through three, here's what God has done. Four through six, here's how you respond to him. A uh, really dense letter. We will not say everything that, are, that there is to say about everything that Paul says. Or it, it'll take us a long, long, long time to get through everything. And so as I'm going through it, you may think, man, I wish you would have spent a little more time on that. Or uh, you saying that made me think of this. So there, there's some resources on the screen if you want to dive in a little more deeply on your own. We've talked about study Bibles before. If you're only going to have one thing, I would say get one. Uh, get a study Bible. There's one in just about every translation, NIV, ESV, King James, whatever you like. Just go to the store, go to Amazon, type in NIV study Bible, ESV study Bible, whatever it is, and, and they'll send it to you. And, and we really want you to have one. They are a little bit expensive. And if you can't afford one, I want you to let us know and we'll buy one for you. I'm serious. I want you to have one. To me, it's the, if you've only got one tool, it's the best tool for understanding what's actually going on in the biblical world so that you can then make sense of it in our world today. If you're more of a e-reader kind of person, the, the Faith Life Bible, it's an app. It's really, really good. Uh, you can download that as with all things internet. There's a part of it that's free and then there's some back-end content that's a, that you have to pay for, but they're, they're, the free resources on it are really good. It is a Bible. It's a study Bible. It's just, uh, it's online. Uh, BibleGateway.com, 
They've got lots of translations of the Bible, and they have lots of content, commentaries, encyclopedias, dictionaries. If you're wanting to dig into something, same thing. Some of it's free. You can pay $3.99 a month for the premium content. And if you're a word person, there's some really big words in Ephesians. Uh, Matt, I mean big in terms of important, not long. Uh, and you may want to dig into some of those words. And uh, blueletterbible.org is a great place to do in that. It's donation-based, so it's, it's free. You can give a donation there if you want. It's really good if you're a word study kind of a person. So you, by all means, dig into those resources. I would encourage you as we go through Ephesians, try to read it once a week. It's only six chapters. It's a letter, so it's meant to be read all at once. And we're going to space it out over, hopefully we'll be done by Thanksgiving. That's my, that's my hope. Um, you're la- I'm serious. I'm hoping we're... <laughs> Uh, hopefully we'll be done by Thanksgiving and it will, it just, the way we'll do it, it's slow. And so you can kind of lose track of chapter one by the time you're in chapter three. And so reading it every week will kind of help us keep that context together. So I'd encourage you to do that uh, if you would. All right. So today we're going to look at chapter one, verses one through 14. Uh, When we get to chapter, or excuse me, to verse three, verses three to 14 is one sentence. It's really confusing. Your Bible broke it up, and so did mine, just to try to help us. And it says he and him all the time, and you're one to go like, who's he and who's him? So what I'm going to do is, instead of those pronouns, I'll put the object referred to either the Father or Jesus. And as we're reading, remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, but when you see God in the Bible, it's almost always referring to the Father. So that might just help you keep track of who's doing what in this passage. Good? Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For the Father chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which the Father has freely given us in the one that he loves. That's Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, the Father made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Jesus we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of the Father, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Jesus with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. There's a lot there. We're not going to get to all of it today. What I want to, we'll mention six, just real briefly, six spiritual blessings that Paul lists here. No particular order. Uh, and they're, they're not all of the blessings that we have in Jesus. They're just six that Paul is writing. This this passage kind of comes off like a New Testament psalm or a hymn or a worship song where Paul is saying, we're praising God for all of the things that he's done for us in Jesus. And he lists six of those things. So we'll briefly hit those six and those will all unfold as we get 
uh, more deep into a more, uh, as we move more uh, deeply into Ephesians. We're also going to talk about two phrases that are really important to understand the book. One is heavenly realms, and the other is in Christ. So those two phrases occur often in Ephesians, and we need to understand them. So first, the six blessings that Paul mentions. Uh, the first category, three of the blessings you could put under the umbrella of election. So election is the biblical doctrine that God has chosen a people for himself. The biblical doctrine that God has chosen a people for himself is election. Words like chosen, words like appointed, words like predestined. All of those are election words. And that election, it, it plays out two ways in the Bible. One is election to service. God has chosen particular people to do particular jobs. So God chose Saul to be the king. And then God chose David to be the king. And God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. And Jesus appointed Peter and James and John and Andrew and the other eight to be apostles. That's not controversial at all. That God has chosen people to do things. That's one of our core values as a church. God has good works that he's created in advance for all of us to do. He's chosen you to do particular things and he wants you to do those things. So that's election to service. There's also election to salvation. And this is a little bit more controversial within the church. There's two major schools of thought around the idea of election to salvation. One is that God elects individuals. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone deserves death and hell. And God in his mercy and his grace has looked out over the world and he's chosen because of his own desires, not because of anything in any people, not because of any merit in anyone, but out of his own grace and mercy, he's chosen, he's picked who's going to be saved and everyone else goes to hell. In a sense, he's, he's picked his team. These are the ones, Ryan, Chad, he's, just, he's gone through and he's selected the individuals who will be saved. And for everybody else, they get what they deserve, which is hell, which is what we all deserve, actually. So that's election, that's individual or personal election. People who love the Lord and honor the Bible hold to that. There are people in this church. There are people high in leadership in this church who believe that. And that may be you, and I don't want you to, like, you're good. I'm not going to try to talk you out of believing that. It's not what I believe, but it's okay. Uh, and again, I, to me, that's an open-handed issue for us. I get, I understand why people believe that scripturally. I just don't. I hold to what's called corporate election, that God has chosen a people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church with a capital C. That God has chosen a corporate people, and all the individuals who are part of that people are saved. That God desires everyone to be saved, and so he's made his invitation known to everybody. And everyone has the opportunity to, to accept or reject. Those who accept are then grafted into the church, and they're saved. Those who reject are left on the outside and they go to hell because of their own choosing. So those are the two major ways that you can see election, either individual or corporate. And again, people who love the Lord and honor the Bible uh, land on both sides of that issue. And you can, be, you can have a, a place at Stonebridge wherever you happen to land. I would say this, just, you know, obviously I believe what I believe because I think it's true. Uh, I think it's just like you. Um, and I, I feel like biblically, and theologically, the idea of corporate election, it, it, I, I feel like it's a better explanation of what's going on in the Bible and who we know God to be. And if just one verse for you, 1 Timothy 2.4, that God desires all people to be saved. So that's what 1 Timothy 2.4 says. And if, if, if I were to believe that God chose who could be in heaven, that that was a unilateral decision from him, and I knew that God wanted everyone to be saved, then I would say, well, then why does anybody go to hell? 
And I think that, that's, a, that's a question. That's one of the things that causes me to lean towards corporate uh, election versus individual because God has clearly said he wants everyone to be saved and we know everyone is not. And so that creates, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a question there that has to be answered. If it's what God wants and it's not what happens, then why is that the case? Particularly if God is able unilaterally to choose uh, who's going to be uh, in his family. So anyway, again, you don't have to agree with me on that, but as we are going to look at the idea of election several times in Ephesians, and it's important for us to have a sense of what that is, and I still think you can get something out of what I'm going to share, even if you would disagree with me uh, on corporate versus individual election. So three blessings that Paul says that fall under this heading of election. One, that God has chosen us to be holy and blameless. There's some other adjectives there, but the, the meat, the, the skeleton of it is God has chosen us to be holy, to be set apart, and to be blameless. That's an Old Testament sacrificial word. Uh, the animals that were brought uh, to the temple to be sacrificed were supposed to be without blemish. That's the word for blameless. So set apart and without blemish, without stain, without spot. We are predestined to be adopted into the family of God. That's relational terminology. You know what adoption is. It's you bring someone who's not into your family into your family, and they then receive all of the benefits, all the responsibilities, all the privileges of being a part of your family. God has done that for us in Jesus. We're chosen for the praise of God's glory. Those things are really important. Election speaks to us about the, it's, it's the center of the will of God, or it's the foundation of God's will. It's, these are things that God has determined way long time ago, before he made any of us. God determined, this is what I'm going to do. This is, what, this is the plan. I'm going to call the people to myself, and they're going to be holy, and they're going to be blameless, and I'm going to adopt them into my family, and all of this is for my own glory. If you ever wonder, what is God doing? Election reminds us of what he's doing. These are the, the big picture things that God has been about from the beginning of time. And they're the things that God is continuing to do and that he will ultimately accomplish. He wants us to be holy, set apart for him. That's what we were chosen for. He wants us to be blameless without spot or stain. That's what we were chosen for. He desires us to, be, uh, to relate to him as sons and daughters. That's what he predestined us to be his kids. And all of it's for him. Jesus is the center of the story, not us. Things revolve around him and not around me and not around you. Again, we'll unpack some more of that stuff as we go. Then there are three blessings that are not necessarily tied to election. We've received redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption, that's a marketplace word. It's to buy someone back out of captivity or slavery. It's a freedom word for us. God has set us free. Our sins have been forgiven, so we're no longer slaves to sin and Satan and death. God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Uh, the, a mystery is um, it, it, it's a something that's hidden in the past that's now been made known or now been disclosed. And the mystery that Paul is referring to in Ephesians 1 is that God is going to unite all things together in Jesus. And that you may think, well, that's, I don't even know what that means. That's still kind of a mystery. He didn't do a very good job of explaining it. We'll unpack that also when we look at chapter 2. And then finally, blessing, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're marked as a seal. That's a word of ownership. That's a word of possession. The Holy Spirit's a deposit. He's a down payment. He's, he's earnest money guaranteeing our inheritance. 
So the Father gives us the Holy Spirit as a way of saying, you can count on receiving the full benefits of salvation uh, that I promised to you. So those six blessings Paul lists really quickly in Ephesians 1. He says, in the, under the umbrella of, a, of election, you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. You've been predestined to be adopted into the family of God. You've been chosen for the praise of his glory. You've received redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. You have this mystery of the, of the Father has been revealed to you that he's uniting everything together in Jesus. And you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's a seal marking you. He's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And again, we'll, we'll dive more, deep, uh, more deeply into each one of those blessings as we go. Two phrases, heavenly realms and in Christ. So that phrase, heavenly realms, your Bible may say the, heaven, the heavens. Uh, it's only used in Ephesians. Five times in all of the Bible, all of them are in Ephesians. It's an important word for us. What is the heavenly realms or the heavenlies? Um, spiritual world, that's what it is. It's a spiritual world. It's a place where, the, where God, where Satan, where angels, and where demons operate. If you're a Christian, you operate in that world as well. But for most of us, we're not super comfortable there. If you're a Christian, you're amphibious. You live in two different worlds. You live in this natural, physical, material world that you can see with your eyes and you can smell and you can taste and you can hear and you can touch. But we also live in this spiritual world that's invisible. It's supernatural. We have to use our spiritual senses to engage it. And many of us, that's just, it, it seems foreign. It seems distant. It seems remote. It seems irrelevant. And for some of us, honestly, we'd say it kind of seems imaginary to us because we can't access it with our senses. What we can see, particularly through the life of Jesus, and this is something that's going to be really important for us as we go through Ephesians, the spiritual world and the material world intersect. That's one. The spiritual world is primary over the physical world. And what I mean by that is what goes on in the spiritual world should inform what happens in the material world. So we want to look to the spiritual world to get our marching orders for the material world. And then the last thing is as followers of Jesus, part of our assignment, part of our responsibility, you think about we've been adopted into the family of God. So part of the family business is to make the spiritual world known here in this material world. So the two worlds intersect. Think about, you can see it particularly in the idea of exorcisms. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus cast demons out of people on a pretty regular basis. And so you see there the intersection between the spiritual world, these beings that we can't see, demons, that obviously have an effect on people who we can see, the physical world. So we have the spiritual world and the physical world interacting with one another. You know, there's a case where there's a guy who's blind and he's mute. Jesus casts a demon out of him and then he can see and then he can talk. There's a case where a boy is demon-possessed and it causes him to have seizures. Jesus casts this demon out of the boy and he doesn't have any more seizures. Uh, maybe most obvious, there's a guy named the Gerasene demoniac, and he's a mess. He lives in the cemetery. He doesn't wear any clothes. He weeps and cuts himself with stones all the time. His life is miserable. And Jesus casts a legion, whatever that means, of demons out of him. And then we see him dressed and sitting at Jesus's feet in his right mind, complete transformation. 
the intersection between the spiritual and the material. And there are positive interactions as well. We just see it really clearly uh, in those exorcisms. The, the negative of the, the demons and the way they're uh, impacting these people. And then the positive when Jesus sets these people free. The primacy of the spiritual world over the material. Think about some of the things Jesus said. My, my food is to do the will of my Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. He's looking to the spiritual world and saying, that's where I'm getting my, that's, that's forming my reality. I'm looking to see what God is doing and that's determining what I'm doing. I'm listening to my Father and that's determining what I'm saying. He says the same thing to, to us. He says to the 12, he says, we, we need to be doing the will of God. There's that idea there of we need to be looking and saying, okay, what's going on in the spiritual world? And how does that then impact the way we live in this physical world? And that may still seem a bit nebulous or ambiguous to you. And hopefully we'll be able to understand that more as we walk through Ephesians, you can think of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, God, what Jesus is saying is I want to look and see what's happening in the spiritual world. And those are the things that we want to see happening here. Again, the major part of Jesus's ministry, I would say the major part, it's his bumper sticker. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, change your mind. Because why? Because this spiritual kingdom, the spiritual rule and reign of God is being established here in your midst, here on the earth. We see the spiritual and the material intersecting again. And we see Jesus saying, this, this is what I came to do. I came to introduce, establish this spiritual reality in the world in which we're currently living. That's what he wants us to do as well. And again, we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go last what does it mean to be in Christ? I think about sets like in uh, elementary school. Um, there's circle and the circle is Jesus. And everybody who's in the circle, everyone is in the set. Everything that's true of the set is true of you. So if you're in the set, then everything that's true of the set is true of you. Verses 12 and 13 say, here's how you get in the set. You hear the, the good news and you believe it. It's not just enough to hear it. You have to believe it. And then you're included. You're incorporated into Christ. If you like organic metaphors better, you can think about abiding, that idea of staying connected vitally to Jesus. That's what it is to be in Christ. We're in this, we're in this set with him. And the things that are true of that set are true of us. And we can get that intellectually, but most of us don't live that stuff out on a regular basis. That's what I was saying when I was introducing for, for us this morning and maybe for the next few weeks. A lot of what, we, what we're going to be going for is changing the way that we think and aligning the way that we think with what the Bible says to be true. These things that are true of us in Christ. You've been blessed with all of these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in the spiritual world, in Christ. That is, if you're following Jesus, then these blessings are all yours, whether you feel like it or not, whether you can even name them or not. They're true of you because you're in the set. So just the six from here, and there's a lot more, but just the six from here, if you're following Jesus, then you've been chosen to be holy and to be blameless. If you're following Jesus, that means you're in Christ. You've been predestined to be adopted into the family of God. If you're following Jesus, you're in Christ, then you've received redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. You're free. If you're following Jesus, if you're in Christ, 
then the mystery of God's will has been revealed to you, the uniting of all things in Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you're following Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He lives within you, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And all of that is for the praise of God's glory. Do you live that way? This is what I want you to do. I want you to think. Take out the mystery one. That one's a little weird. Take the other five. And as we close, I want you to think about which one of those five do I have the hardest time believing? Which one of those five, or maybe you can think about it as a negative, which one of those five has the least impact on the way I live on Monday? Which one of those five do I live as someone who God decided way back before he even created the earth was going to be holy and blameless? Do I live as someone who's been forgiven? Do I live as someone who's been adopted into his, do I live as a son or as a daughter? Or are those things just words to me? How do those things, how do those realities in the spiritual world form and shape the way I live here in Marietta, Monday through Friday? I want you to grab one of those five and close your eyes if you would. Pray with me. So if you're willing, you can pray something like this. Father, I thank you for all of the blessings that you've made available to me in Christ. I thank you that due to no merit in myself, not based on any good within me, you've incorporated me into Jesus. You've grafted me in. And that's a spiritual reality. And I also confess have a hard time living out that spiritual reality in the dailiness of my life. I'm really good at seeing things with my physical eyes, but not so good with my spiritual eyes. I'm really good at hearing the voices of everybody around me, but I'm not so great at hearing your still small voice in my heart. So would you help me? Would you help me, Holy Spirit, this week Live out the reality of, and you fill in the blank, whichever one of those five you said was the, the one for you. And I pray you begin inside of me, you begin in my heart and in my mind, rewiring the way that I think. That I will begin to recognize that in Christ, all of these blessings are mine because you give them to me, not because I've earned them. I want you to think, you can just think about some of the things that maybe, do you live as someone who's forgiven? Or maybe because you're still dealing with the consequences of your sin, it's hard for you to acknowledge that God has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. You have a terrible temper. You explode in anger. You realize that the the God of the universe lives within you. And one of the fruits, one of the results of his life in you is self-control. So you don't have to do that anymore. Like you don't, you don't have to be a slave to your temper. The Holy Spirit, he lives within you if you're in Christ. 
You can access his power. You can say to him, would you grow within me this fruit of self-control? I acknowledge I'm, I'm in Christ. And so Holy Spirit, you live within me. We'll see next week the power of the one who's raised Jesus from the dead is resident within me. So would you empower me to choose self-control over exploding in anger? Think about your life and recognize, again, what's been given to you in Christ. All of the blessings, all of the benefits that are available. Holy Spirit, would you help each one of us as we leave this place, as we go throughout our week? Would you be changing our hearts and our minds, causing us to move more and more into alignment, into agreement with what is true in the spiritual world? This world that we can't see, this world that is easy to neglect with all of the stimulus here in this physical world. Would you give us grace to live in light of the reality of what you say is true of us in the heavenly realms, that we would live as holy and blameless, that we would live as sons and daughters, that we would live free, fully aware of our forgiveness and redemption. And that we would live in, in all of these ways to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 